Well, amen. Good morning, faith family. It's good to see you. Can we just thank God for the worshiping song this morning? Yes. Wow. And I tell you, I love Sundays like this where we can just uh, strip everything down and just really focus on uh, what we're singing and our hearts behind it. Really grateful for Pastor Sean and Miss Jess leading us uh, so very well um, today as they do each week. Hey, grab your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Abran sus Biblias en el libro de Romanos. Capitulo 6, por favor. Romans chapter 6. We're going to continue in the book of Romans. We'll read this in just a few moments. I want to share a couple of quick things with you. First of all, um, just want to let you know, starting next week, uh, we will have our staff pastors preaching through the month of July. So really, really excited about that. Um, We have some incredible, incredible preachers uh, that are on staff with us. And so they're going to be walking through different selected psalms uh, through the month of July. So we're very excited to hear from them. As my son says, we're going to get to hear some good sermons for a change. So I don't know what that means. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, that, that's going to happen through the month of July. I also want to let you know that our students, as you heard Pastor Tyler say earlier, uh, they are going to be heading to Crossroads Student Camp tomorrow morning. Uh, we're very, very excited for them. I'm believing God to do great things as they head to Anderson. South Carolina for Crossroads. If you did not get one of these bracelets, make sure you grab one on your way out. I'm praying for Alex, seventh grader. Throughout the week, just grab one. It'll have a name and their grade on it, and you can make that a a part of your prayer point uh, as you spend time in prayer throughout the week uh, this week. What I would like to do together collectively as a a church this morning is pray uh, for the students and the leaders that are going uh, to Crossroads. So uh, in just a few moments, we're going to do that together. Uh, They need our prayers. Man, we want to pray for safe travel. Uh, We want to pray for energy. We want to pray specifically for those that are going to be like in charge of the sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade boys. You know how bad they are, right? Um, They take it as an opportunity to have a week without a shower. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, um, just excited for for all of that. We want to pray that God does some great things. But above above me on all of that, uh, we, we, we do want to pray for those that will be showing up at camp, not just with our church, like any other church that's there. Uh, those that are showing up at camp that don't know Christ, we want to pray that the Lord would open their hearts, open their ears, open their eyes, that they may respond um, in faith to Christ. Throughout the years, we have seen uh, many people come to faith in Christ, and we've seen many people, uh, young men, young women, who have felt called into ministry through going to summer camp. It really is a pivotal uh, time in their life. So as a faith family, we want to have their, we want them to know that they have our support as we uh, hold their hands up as they uh, minister throughout the week this week. So if you would bow with me in the spirit of prayer, let's open up praying for those going to Crossroads this week. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity that we have as a church family to pray for those going to Crossroads Student Camp. God, we do pray for the students that will be attending. We pray for the adults. I think about the countless volunteers that have taken time off of work. They've taken vacation weeks um, to go and to to be there uh, during this week. God, we just thank you for that, and we pray for them. Um, God, we pray for every speaker that will be speaking We pray for the musicians that will be uh, leading worship and song. We pray for the small group leaders, the camp staff, the uh, volunteers that will be there. God, we ask that you'll give them a lot of wisdom as they have many gospel conversations with students throughout the week. God, we do pray for safety, safe travels there. God, just give them 
Uh, give, give them your, your care there. God, I pray for uh, energy, all the things that are, that are needed. Um, God, we thank you in advance for all uh, that's going to take place this week. And we uh, celebrate you and uh, God grateful for how you use things such as student camp to impact so many lives. And we give it to you and we trust in you. And we pray this in the powerful name of King Jesus and all God's people said. Amen and amen. Well, hey, we just had a team that got back from a Friday, got back from Okoe Outreach. Uh, I was privileged to be able to join that team in Cleveland, Tennessee, and we had an excellent, excellent week. You'd be so proud of this team, and they have servants' hearts, and God used them in tremendous ways, not only to build a wheelchair ramp and to repair another wheelchair ramp uh, for families who desperately needed it, but also because of their willingness to have gospel conversations with those in the neighborhoods in which we worked in. And I think of the several conversations that I had and myself and uh, others had as we celebrated around the table at night and just grateful to God and praying for seeds to have been planted and for lasting fruit to, uh, to take place through those conversations. So grateful for that team. We also had a chance to worship at a church called Tasso Baptist Church in Cleveland, uh, Tennessee. It was really a cool opportunity, man. Uh, it's a revitalization effort. They've got a pastor there. This is his first pastorate and he's doing a tremendous job, Pastor Lawrence. And uh, he's the first African-American pastor of that church the church has ever had. And that's a big deal in that particular area. And we celebrated that together. It was really funny, though, because when I showed up, I'd talked to Pastor Lawrence on the phone before getting there. And when I showed up, he looked at me. He said, Pastor, when I talked to you on the phone, I thought you was a black man. And, and he said, you probably thought I was a white man. And we laughed about that and just talked about how, man, we're brothers in Christ. And, and God used him to share the word with us Wednesday night. Our team was fed spiritually. They also fed us physically and provided a meal for us. It's precious, precious time. I also met this gentleman named Matt. Uh, Matt works for Okoe Outreach. He's a contractor that um, is just serving. He's not paid by Okoe Outreach. He's just serving. It's his hometown. And he's spending time throughout the week going to different job sites and helping uh, where, where these teams need help. And day one, when he showed up on our site, man, he and I just connected. I just really felt a uh, kindred spirit with Mr. Matt. Mr. Matt's just a real precious guy. And within 30 minutes of getting to know one another, he shared a story with me. On Christmas Day uh, this, this previous year, his son, his uh, daughter-in-law, and three grandsons were in a terrible car accident. A drunk driver hit them, and the three grandsons needed immediate surgery. And they were, they were in bad, bad shape. And his son and Mr. Matt's son and, and his daughter-in-law uh, were killed in that wreck. And as we talked about this, he's just pouring tears. And, and I began to cry alongside of him. And he shows me pictures of his grandsons today who are healthy. And he and his wife are raising them three, five, and seven years old. And I thought about Mr. Matt. And I thought, man, here's a man who is obviously still grieving in many ways, but he's serving Jesus, man. Like he's spending his summer uh, just trying to help his community and, and, and serving his community. And I thought about him and I couldn't help but shake the thought that there are people literally everywhere that are going through hard times. You'd never know it. And the story may not be just like Mr. Matt's story, but the story is some story. And there's a lot of heartache and pain that's attached to many of our lives as we're walking through this thing called life. And so we have these physical needs and emotional needs and spiritual needs that are just welling up. And the truth is there are so many people that are looking to fulfill the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual through things that are not of God. 
And this is exactly what Paul is reminding the Roman believers of, is he's saying, I know life is tough. I know it can be incredibly difficult, but I also want you to know that when you are enslaved to sin, there is ultimately no fulfillment in that. You may think that you're putting a Band-Aid on your life, but the reality is it's a Band-Aid over a bullet hole wound. It's not curing anything. And I want you to know that as you look to Christ, this is when you experience eternal life and eternal hope. So I'm reminded of Mr. Matt's story. I can't help but think of the many that are hurting. And what is our job as believers? What is our job as followers of Christ? We want to point, we want to point people to Jesus. We want them to drink from the well of Christ. As Jesus tells the woman at the well, if you drink of the water that I will give you, you will never thirst again. She was carrying so much shame, this woman at the well. She was carrying so much pain. And yet Jesus meets her in the midst of that when everyone else rejected her. And he says, I can give you living water. If you'll drink of this, you'll never thirst again. Today we're going to talk about this idea of sanctification, which means we can grow in our relationship with Jesus. We can look more and more like him every single day as we die to sin and as we look to Christ. The catechism I love is around sanctification. I'm going to ask the question and we'll answer it collectively. Here's the question. What is sanctification? Here's the answer. We'll say it together on three. One, two, three. Sanctification is on the screen. We need that, right? There we go. All right, the next one. Awesome. Good job. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace by which our whole person is made new in the image of God. Love this. And we are made more and more able to become dead to sin and alive to righteousness. Hey, Romans chapter six, starting in verse 20. If you're there, we say amen. It says this, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to, here's that word, sanctification. That means growth in Christ. And it's end, eternal life. You may be familiar with verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray that the Lord will bless both the proclamation and reading of his word today. Let's look at verse 20 and just unpack these few verses together today. Verse 20 says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What does he mean here? Here's what he means. He's saying essentially that if you are free from one thing, you are bound to another. So when you are bound to sin, when you are enslaved in sin, you are not pursuing righteousness. Now I've said this before, this is important. It does not mean that those who are not in Christ are incapable of doing good things. There are certainly good things that those who are unbelievers can do, but they are not subject to this natural compulsion to do the things that honor the Lord. Meaning that when the world goes one way and they call good what God has called evil and they look at you and they look at, I, look at me and they say, hey, you ought to believe that these things are good as well. You ought to believe that these things are normal and acceptable as well because in our own state, in our own natural thinking, in our own understanding, it feels right. But we must understand we cannot always do what feels right. How many of you know that if you did everything you felt like you wanted to do, you'd be in big trouble? 
We can't always do what feels right. We have to operate under the terms of God. And we have to understand that it is so critical that we live in the wake of his righteousness and that we pursue holiness. The natural man leans on his own understanding. We talked last week during Father's Day in Proverbs 3 that we are not to lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him and he will make our path straight. We are not to be hedonists. We are not just to do what we are compelled to do in our own feelings. No, we must look to God and say, God, how do I best honor you? Because the world is telling me I ought to think this way, even where I go in, in, in university or in, in my, my school. God, I'm, I'm seeing often being propagated to me that I must think and act and believe certain ways. But God, it feels like there's pressure that this is the right thing to do. What the Bible is saying is we must stand on the truth and on the promises of God because there is a way that seems right to man, but the end of that is destruction. No, we have to look at God. We have to honor him. And Paul is making that point here. He's saying, when you were enslaved to sin, you were free and righteous, meaning you weren't looking to honor God in your life. You weren't looking to please God with your decisions. You were only looking to fulfill what you felt to be right. This is why 1 John chapter 2 says what it says, as John says in verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. God is not saying here through John that we are to not love the people of the world. What he's saying is we do not love the systems that the world has called good and right that go against God's word. We are, listen, as believers, we are not free from righteousness. We are to pursue righteousness. And we ought to be free from sin. And so Paul lays that out there. And then I love verse 21. He says here, what fruit were you getting at the time from the things in which you are now shame? For the end of those things is death. What he's saying here is, hey, when you look back at your life, when you were enslaved to sin and you were doing the things that God called evil, you were participating in those and you were calling them good. What did you get from that? How did that fulfill you? How did that satisfy you? And what Paul is saying here is all that brought to you was shame. You see, when we are enslaved and submerged in our own sin, we don't often feel the shame of our sin. As a matter of fact, one of the marks of a sin-dominated life is shamelessness. But oh, brother and sister, when the Lord gets a hold of you and you are confronted by your sin, how do you know when your sin was first confronted to you and however the Lord did that in your heart and in your life, how do you know that in that moment you felt the weight of your sin? Shame, regret, heaviness, heartache. It's this word called conviction. And hear me, conviction is not a bad thing. We need to feel that. That's what helps us to know that, hey, this path that I'm on is not good. That's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve back in Genesis 3. If you want to turn there, you can. Let's just look quickly at the first part of Genesis chapter 3, what is known as the fall of man. We see the serpent who is crafty, more crafty than anything else the Lord has made. He said to the woman, this is Eve, did God actually ask you or tell you not to eat of this fruit? And she said to the serpent, well, we can eat of all the trees in the garden, but God said, I shall not eat of the fruit in the midst of the garden. Neither should I touch it lest I die. But look at the serpent, how crafty he is in verse four. He says to the woman, you will not surely die. 
For God knows that, hey, when you eat this, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree seemed to be good for food, that it was a delight to her eyes, and that it would make her wise, she took the fruit, she ate it, she gave it to her husband, he ate it. But look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. They were confronted with their sin. But hear this, instead of running to the cure, which was found in God, they ran to a temporary, temporary uh, cure. They thought that this was the refuge. They were trying to hide. They were not running to the ultimate cure. No, they were running for a cover. And the cover could not do what only God can do, but they were confronted with their sin and they ran to the wrong thing. And I would say to you today, as we are confronted with our sin, we must not run for the cover. We must not run to hide. Why? Because there's no fruit in that. There's no fruit in that. It only brings shame. You look back on your life prior to Christ for those who are believers in here and you look at the things that you have done that felt right at the time and now as you assess those things you're like man if I only knew what I knew now those things brought nothing to my life. They added no value to me. For example leaving a life of gossip will not yield anything productive or good in your life. Running to drugs or drink as a daily reprieve will not yield good results in your life. The love of money or having things will not help you sleep better at night. Normalizing a life of pornography or illicit relationships will not harvest joy in your heart. This list, as you know, could go on and on and on. But what does the Bible say here in Romans 6? Paul says that these things only bring about what? Death. Eternal death, but also relational death. Let's use the examples that we've already given. How many of you have seen that friendships or co-working relationships can be absolutely ruined because of gossip. It can bring about death. How many of you have seen relationships be ruined because of drugs or drink? It can bring about death. How many of you have seen relationships ruined through financial mishandlings and secrets? It can bring about death to those relationships. Adultery, pornography can bring about death to those relationships. There's no good fruit, Paul says, only death. Now, here's the good news, and I think we need some good news right now. The good news, as Paul begins to pivot here in just a moment, is simply this. Those who look to God as their cure, and they're not looking for a temporary cover. They're not looking to do these things to try to fill a void in their life, but they're looking to God. That person knows that they have found in God a God who forgives They have found in God a God who restores, a God who redeems. We serve a God that when you surrender all to him, you don't have to run for temporary cover. You can run to the cure, and he can heal you, brother and sister. (laughs) Come on, somebody. How many know that in the name of Jesus, come on, there's no shame. There's no regret because he can take all the broken pieces of our life, and he can make a beautiful mosaic out of it. We're going to get to Romans 8, probably six months to a year. (laughs) But... Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, meaning God can use everything you've been through. The things that you cause, the things that are circumstantial that you didn't necessarily cause, all the difficulties in your life, God can bring them together for our good and for his glory if we would only look to him. But what do we have to do? We have to not hide in the wrong places. We need to hide in the shelter of who God is, not in the wrong places. As John Piper says, sometimes we hide in our homes. Sometimes we hide away from our homes. Sometimes we hide in our rooms, in our offices, in our housework, yard work, garage. We hide behind computers and phones and newspapers and magazines. 
We hide behind earphones and Netflix and ESPN. We hide behind fashion facades, education facades, career facades, Facebook facades, pulpit facades. We hide behind busyness and procrastination. We hide in outright lies or diversionary conversation. We hide behind sullenness and humor. We hide behind bravado and timidity. We hide in extroversion and introversion. We hide, we hide, we hide. But what we are seeing today is we must not hide. We must run to Jesus as our hope. Verse 22 says, but now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves to God and the fruit that you now get leads to sanctification. There's that word again. We can grow in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone that's in Christ knows this. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And now our response is to be the salt and the light in this earth. What are we to do? We are to represent Christ and all of his grace that has been bestowed to us. Everywhere we go, we are to be a light for Jesus. We're not going to be perfect. We're not perfect. We mess up. But guess what? People can look at us and see that we are no longer enslaved to sin, that we are now submitted to Christ. He is our Lord. He is leading us. I'm a new creation. I'm not who I used to be. And when you look at me, you see me being a light for Christ. I want that in my heart. I want to grow and look more and more like him. And as my days go on, I want to to reject sin all the more and to pursue Christ all the more because that is sanctification. Then verse 23, this powerful verse that we know very well, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Here's what we know. We know that this is a very popular verse in sharing the gospel, but Paul is using this in the hearts of believers by saying, hey, if you keep looking to sin, if you keep reaching to sin to try to satisfy your deepest desires, the wage of that, the earnings of that, it's death, man. It's only gonna hurt your relationships. It's only gonna hurt you in life. But if you look to Jesus, which is all of grace, this is a gift. You have eternal life. You have life and you have life abundantly. So what is the application for us today? The application for us today is to take a cue from Joseph. Back in Genesis, when Joseph was pursued by Potiphar's wife and she's making passes at him, he did not stay and flirt with her. You know what he did? He fled. He fled from sin And he ran to God. And the Bible says about Joseph's life, even though Joseph went through hard things, the Bible says over and over about Joseph's life that God was with him. I don't know about you. I want God to be with me. I don't want to flirt with sin. I don't want to flirt with the things that are dishonoring to God. No, I want to flee from them. And I want to flee to Jesus. I don't want to run for a temporary cure. I don't want to run for a temporary cover. I want to run to the ultimate cure, the one who I can hide in, who is my ultimate refuge, my hiding place. I want to run to God. So I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know if you're a believer in this room and, man, God's just dealing with you and and you've got some things in your life that are not pleasing to the Lord and you're down this path of doing what feels right instead of what you know to be true and right in God. And, And today God's just getting your attention, man, and I praise God for that. Here's what I would tell you. Stop flirting with the wrong things. And you flee from them and you run to God. If you're here and you're not a believer and you've tried to find satisfaction in all these things, maybe you have sin issues in your life or maybe life's just been hard on you and you've tried to find hope upon hope upon hope and all these things, but it's just not working. It's because those things are not meant to work. They're band-aids. But if you run to Jesus, man, come to him, surrender your life to him. He can forgive you, give you new life, give you new hope and show you that he is with you. Even in the most difficult storms, he is with you. So turn to him. 
Today, we have the great privilege of being able to share in communion. If you did not receive one of these, just raise your hand. We'll make sure we get you one. Uh, Raise it high in the balcony and down front. We'll make sure we get you a communion cup. But we have the great privilege of being able to look at the, the body that was given, the blood that was shed from Jesus on Calvary's cross. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We look to him, church. He is our hope. And with a very celebratory tone this morning, we come before him and we partake in communion because we are grateful to God that he has given his blood, that he's given his body so that all who call upon his name shall be saved. He has bore my sin debt so that when I trust in him, he imputes to me his righteousness and he has taken the wrath of God that I rightly deserve so that I can be forgiven and set free. We celebrate communion because God, through his son, Jesus gave his life so that we could be forgiven and we could walk in freedom and we could walk in righteousness and we could walk in holiness and we could be the salt and the light. He did this for us. The Bible does have a couple caveats. Number one, if you're not a believer, this is not for you, but it's a good opportunity for you to eavesdrop and to see how we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. The Bible also says that if you are a believer, but you're in habitual, perpetual sin, meaning you've got this sin issue that you've not repented of, that you've just been holding on to, the Bible says just put this communion aside for a moment. Put, put the Lord's Supper aside for a moment and spend time just repenting, asking God to forgive you of this sin and making that decision today to say, you know what, today I want to follow Jesus. Today I want to give my whole heart to you. That's, that's what you need to do today. For the rest of us, we take this, we realize that we are not perfect, but uh, we take communion with this response of, God, I'm so grateful for your grace. I'm so grateful that even in the pain of life, whether it's self-inflicted or something that's out of my control, God, that you're there. I'm grateful that you are forgiving, God. I'm grateful that you have rescued me from that past where there was nothing but shame and heartache and regret. You've rescued me from that. And you've given me a new name, a new creation. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. God, thank you. Thank you for that propitiation, taking the wrath of God that I rightly deserved and drinking the full cup so that I could be forgiven. God, thank you. We take this today with a worshipful and celebratory tone in our heart, knowing that he has been good to us. Has he not been good, church? We've sang about the goodness of God today, and we've done it through some old hymns and some of the newer songs as well. And Pastor Sean and Miss Jess have done that so excellently today. But we sing to him as an audience of one, because church, he is good. And we're going to continue to sing in just a moment right after we partake in this. We're going to continue to sing about how he has paid the debt for us. We are grateful for that. So if you would remove the first portion here of plastic and Get the bread available. I'm going to read the first scripture passage and we'll partake in this together and then I'll read the next and we'll partake in the juice together. The word says in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And God, we remember and we thank you. Bible continues in the same way. He also took the cup 
after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's stand together, church, and let's worship.